God, give us true hope. We come to your word and we ask you to speak to us because there are many voices, but we need your voice. We need the voice of the shepherd to speak truth and life and hope to us. Please break through the voices that we have been hearing and speak your truth, your life and hope and joy to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I'm Pastor Steve. And uh, there's some of you whose names I don't know. But most of you, I'm glad to see. And the ones who I don't know your names, I'm even more glad to see you. So, uh, but I won't tell you which ones those are, because it might be that I forgot your name. So, anyway. Um, so we are... Um, <clears throat> we got the slide up there. We're in our year for the just king, and um, in this time, in this season of Lent, we are focusing specifically on Jesus, the just king, and why crucify the just king? Because that doesn't seem to make any sense. We were all waiting for the king to come and set things right, and then they crucified him. As the disciples said, we had hoped that he was the Messiah who was going to deliver Israel. And now, nothing. He was crucified. We talked last time about how crucifixion was horrible. It was not only physically the most torturous way to die. We're not going to go into detail about that, but it was the most humiliating. It was like being slaughtered like an animal or an insect even. Um, And so it was the way to degrade someone, humiliate someone. And crucifixion is both offensive and the most important thing. So 1 Corinthians 1, 23, 18 says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. And let's be honest, it's it's crazy. It's foolish. There's no other God who gets crucified in any other religion. Um, So The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. Wait a second. Crucifixion and power? Those are opposites. Crucifixion is weakness, humiliation, degradation. Power is the opposite, right? This is the incredible thing. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, the Gentiles say it's all nonsense, and he goes on and says, but we know it's God's wisdom, God's power. How can that be? So why crucify the just king? Well, what did Jesus say about why? What meaning did he give? And he he said a lot of things. Now, he's very unusual in uh, predicting his death. Not only his death, but the kind of death, the place of death, and the manner of death. I mean, we think Babe Ruth is amazing because he pointed one time and hit a home run there. Maybe, or maybe he was just stretching. We don't even know. But Jesus predicted and in some sense with God chose that he would die, where he would die, how he would die, when he would die. 
And so what did Jesus say about why? Because he said it several times before he died. Jesus said to his disciples, As you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So Jesus chose the timing of his crucifixion precisely because he wanted us to see that it was about the Passover and the Exodus. He wanted us to see that he was fulfilling the greatest thing that had ever happened to Israel was being fulfilled in this time. And and he said, I eagerly desire to have this Passover with you to his disciples. He said, this is the last time I'm going to eat of this until I eat in the messianic banquet, the, the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is the last time I'm going to eat with you. And so Paul says that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Why does Paul say that? Because Jesus chose that Passover exodus to explain what he was about to do. So we're going to try to unpack that a little bit today, that how does the Passover lamb slaughtered become, how does Jesus become that Passover lamb, that exodus? So so we're going to talk about crucifixion, Passover, and exodus. In other words, there's a lot of ways to understand what this most significant event that ever happened in history is. And this is one of the ways that Jesus pointed us to to explain what he meant by it. But before we do that, I want to get us back to thinking about, so what makes you angry? We talked about that last time. Probably you guys have some new things this week, huh? Something new made you angry in the past week? Just guessing. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a once a year thing for you, but probably for a lot of us, it's a once a day or, you know, once a week maybe. Um, And when we talked about last time, which things made us angry, uh, it pretty much came down to this. When my or our rights are violated, or when I or we are disrespected, right? And the the examples we gave were all kinds of things, including that the kids don't take their underwear out of their pants when they do the laundry. I mean, I'm doing all their laundry. Least they could do is take their underwear out of their pants, right? How disrespectful is that? Way disrespectful, that's right. And... In, our, in your relationships, if you listen to people, in your marriage, when is it that you get hot? Isn't it when you feel like your rights are violated, something that you should have was violated? You were disrespected. Some, I see a little chuckles out there, yeah. Um, maybe, some, maybe some not chuckles out there, too. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it's when... You know, the least you could do was do the dishes. The least you could do was this. You know, we're married. We should have sex once in a while. We've, there's this and that and the car and the, the house and the payments and the how you, where you put your shoes, right? And whether you take your underwear out of your pants when you put do, or whether you do the laundry, right? Um, all those things get to be big things. How you eat, the noises you make when you eat. Um, <laughs> Those all get to be big things. You're, you're being disrespected, right? 
likewise with kids and, and roommates. Roommates are even worse than people you're married to because you don't have anything to hold over them. You can't, you know, anyway. Um, <laughs> so um, the only problem with marriage is you can't move out as easily. So, um, so when our rights are violated, that's when we get angry, right? Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about ATR. Anybody know what ATR is? Okay. Well, you haven't been in any of my classes. I used to teach some classes on ATR. ATR stands for African Traditional Religions. Um, and there's a lot, or religion. So the religion scholars like to talk about it as being one thing. The anthropologists like to talk about all the different varieties of it. I'll, I'm more anthropologist, so I'll go with African Traditional Religions. Lots of different ways. The thing about, as, as I've studied African Traditional Religions, um, African traditional religions are very practical. Um, so when I have a problem or I need something, um, so I get sick or um, I, need, uh, I need to have a child or I need my crops to grow, or I need, then I, I go and ask somebody to, um, to help me get that. So I might go to a diviner or, or a uh, uh, traditional healer or something, and I say, you know, I've got a problem. And he divines, usually listens to the gods or the ancestors or, or God, because a, a lot of African traditional religions have a, a creator God, although he doesn't usually talk very much. Usually it's the ancestors aren't kind of mediating. Anyways, um, to find out what's wrong and make it right, because something's wrong, because this isn't working. The crops aren't growing, or I'm sick, or my child is... Uh, so what can I do to make it right? Um, so it's very practical. Um, I want to also talk about American traditional religions and American modern religions because pretty much they're practical too. Um, pretty much we go to God when we need something, when we need to, uh, to uh, you know, well, when we need to pass the test, for example, or we, when we're sick, or when we uh, feel guilty or we feel depressed or we feel um, something when we feel we need some money. We go, we go to God and we ask him for, for help. Now, as far as that goes, it's not bad. I mean, Peter's first encounter with Jesus, we talked about before, he, uh, he gave him a whole year's worth of fish, and then he got, his mother-in-law jumped out of bed, and then he cast out a demon, and Jesus said, I'm following you, because you got it, all the goods. You got what I need. And that was true. He did. But that was the beginning of Peter's discipleship. And there were some other things Peter had to learn about discipleship along the way. But what I want you to know is that this is centered on me and on us. And American traditional religions, African traditional religions, folk religions in general are centered on how do I get what I need? So sometimes there's some high religions, you know, um, so Buddhist high religions are about not needing or wanting anything. But usually there's still folk religions in those places where you get what you need. Um, so it's centered on me and my rights and my needs and my justice being done for me or for us. Now, that's much more noble when it's about us, our people, our family, our nation, our um, whatever. Then it's, then it's a noble thing. Then we have big symbols and, and great things about, about us. But it's still... ATR, and it's not really the gospel. But the, so the bad news in that case is that something isn't okay for me. And the good news is that God is on your side. And God's going to get you what you need. So we, talk, we showed this last time. These are, 
these are actually some American traditional religion uh, symbols here. Uh, so, so this one, uh, this one is pretty much uh, God's going to defend us, and uh, and uh, this one is God is cool because the problem is I'm not cool, and Christianity isn't cool enough. So we can make Christianity cool enough, especially if we get enough stuff, you know, that would be cool or, or the right technical or or uh, smoke or something, right? The the right light show. Um, but this other one up on the corner, I think this is this is one of the best ones. This is the Hey, you're okay. I like you. You are loved. You, you are loved so much, I died for you. And that is taken as something about how lovable you are. Jesus died for you because you're so lovable. Right? <laughs> I'm hearing a, a mix here. So did Jesus die for you because you're lovable? Well, Jesus did love you enough to die for you. But when we shift the balance, it becomes about me being lovable and God, and it becomes about God accepting me. And then, and then when this other inconvenient stuff comes up, we say, no, 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 God's supposed to be accepting and loving and inclusive and welcoming. And he's, he's supposed to kind of say, oh, that's okay. You know, I forgive and forget. And any of those bad things about us or other people are supposed to not, not you know, get in the way. And really, we don't like, especially we don't like judgmental people, right? Because this is our God. This is our Jesus. He's not judgmental at all. He's okay with you. Now, let me say, God, Jesus does like you. Okay? He does love you. He'd, he'd be happy to have you to dinner. In fact, that was what was surprising about Jesus was who he had dinner with. But it, see, it gets tweaked into there's nothing wrong with you. God's accepting of you. And we don't want any of those judgmental churches or judgmental religion or, or any of that stuff. And that's where it gets inconvenient and that bloody cross stuff gets in the way too. Right? Are you following me? We've moved into what one person called it therapeutic, as we, God's doing our therapy for us so we can feel better. Um, deism, God's not too close unless we really ask him to, pretty much like ATR, where God's far away and we can talk to the ancestors um, in African traditional religion. Um, so this is a religion we easily slide into. We can easily hear the, the, uh, the songs of our time that are very much encouraging and, and, and helping you feel better about yourself because Jesus is on your side. So it's a, it's a truth, but it, if it's the only truth by itself, it gets distorted. Do you get what I'm saying? God loves you. He died for you. But why did he die for you? He died for you because he loves you, but that's only part of the story. Um, and then we also talked about how we want a strong God. And, and we want, want a God who's on our side to protect us and defend us from all those guys. Right? Satan and, and all those bad people. Um, so, and really we don't want a God who goes to the cross and dies. He can go to the cross and do this. 
be the superhero, right? And come out. And then we want to say, yeah, I'll take up my cross and follow him. Because doing the cross thing like that, that's cool. Right? That's how the movie's supposed to end. Right? The last minute, it's supposed to be um, a transformation and a rescue. Um, but you see, the bad news is much worse than that you didn't get your way. The bad news is much worse than we aren't as successful as we used to be. Um, here's a, a little quote. Half of the harm that is done in this world is due to people who want to feel important. They don't mean to do harm, but the harm does not interest them, or they don't see it, or they justify it. Because they feel so absorbed in the endless struggle to think well of themselves. Now, this, is, this quote has caught me this, this week as I've thought about how much I do to try to think well of myself, to be important, and how easy it is for me to do the things that I do that should be done out of love to do them to feel important, to try to love my wife so that I can feel like I'm a good husband, love my kids so I feel like I'm a good father, be a, be a good pastor, preach a good sermon so that I can feel like I'm important, I can think well of myself. Our church can do well, and then we can all think well of what a good church we have. And then it magnifies to the corporate level, right? Where we want to think well of our church. We want to think well of our country. We want to think well of our family. And, and, and as we do that, we cause harm to others. In my marriage, when I'm trying to make sure that I think well of myself and that I'm important enough, I can cause harm to my wife because she's not giving me the vibes that make me think I'm important enough. She's not, my rights are not being taken honored the way they should be. And on the corporate level, it gets a lot worse. If we think, so this, by the way, is from T.S. Eliot. So um, if, if it's about making our country the most important, the most respected, the most successful. We can do harm to other countries, other people, without worrying about it. It's about our race or our ethnic group or our language being honored. We can run over other people, but it doesn't really matter because we're so focused on ourselves. You get what I'm saying? Um, anyway, this was very convicting to me this week because I see myself there. So... The bad news is much worse, but the good news is much, much better because what happens is the bad news is bad enough that we actually do awful things to each other, especially when we get together. We do awful things to others, and we don't even recognize that sometimes as, as uh, sin, but corporate sin, systemic evil is worse than individual evil. You know, you can kill one person and you're a murderer. You can kill five or ten. You're a terrible serial killer, mass murderer, right? But if you have a war, you can kill 500,000, and that's all good. And all the other ramifications of that, where I'm participating in systems that are evil because I'm trying to be important, get what I need. 
I'm not trying to do harm to anybody. But, so, you have not weighed the gravity of sin if you don't know why there had to be a cross. Sin is a responsible guilt for which atonement must be made, sacrificed, and the powers are enslaving us. Sin and death are some of the alien powers enslaving all people that must be defeated. So these are two aspects that we're going to be talking about that come up in the meaning of the cross, two categories. So the just king was crucified to make us right and just with God and others who we sinned against. And you notice we almost never think about how we sin against God, right? But sin is primarily against God. Psalm 51 says, Against you and you only have I sinned, because ultimately it's really about God, and we don't even consider that most of the time. But it's also to free us from the powers including sin and death. Now, I want to emphasize that because today we're going to focus on that because we're going to talk about Passover and Exodus. And I want you to notice that in Passover and Exodus, it's not really about sin. The Passover lamb was not slaughtered because of sin. It was not a, an atonement sacrifice. Now, there are animals that are, are sacrificed as an atonement. We'll talk about that, the, the first half of this equation. But Exodus is not about that. So these two aspects I want you to keep in mind. So we had this uh, bulletin cover last time that on the bottom there says, you do it to me. And it talks about, it's showing how all these bad things happened, were, were crucified, and, and this, um, you know, it's, it's in Birmingham. It's, it's uh, at the 16th Street Baptist Church where the bombing was. And replacing that, rebuilding that, there's this African-American Jesus that's saying, you do it to me. All that slavery, the Jim Crow, the, the KKK that was part of that, you do it to me. And this Jesus is kind of coming off of the cross. But I want you to notice his two hands. One is reaching out in atonement. The other one is pushing back the powers. Sin, death, evil is being pushed back and defeated. We talked about it when we talked about the Exodus as God's outstretched right hand that he uses it to crush the evildoer and the oppressor in order to lift up the oppressed and the victimized. And that both of those have to go together. If God is going to be righteous and he can't just give impunity to people who are crushing. And he can't release unless he get, deals with those who are holding down. So the bad news is this, at least some of it. <laughs> the bad news is you are dying. We are dying. Now, we do a pretty good job in America. La, 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 la. That's not really going to happen. Not to me, not to nobody I know. Yeah, statistically it happens to like 100% of people, but not me. Not my wife, not my kids, not my mom. But you're dying. And that's a problem. Well, maybe it's not a problem to you, but generally other people dying is not a problem, but me dying is a problem. And us dying is a problem. So death is a problem. And the other problem is that you and we together are slaves. We are slaves. We are caught in slavery. And so let's look at, let's go back to Exodus and look at what was happening in Exodus. Um, I'm going to get one of these so you can, so you can come with me. 
So I know what page we know what page we're on. All right, there's one in front of you. Exodus. Let's try Exodus chapter 13, chapter 12. Um, which is on page 48 of this Bible. Um, I want you to look at Exodus 12, 12. Um, so let's back up and get, and get the story as, as we remember here. So Abraham's descendants came Jacob's family. Finally, they have some kids. Remember, Jesus, God is building a great, just, holy kingdom and nation. And that's, the kingdom is what we're talking about. So they don't have kids. Like, finally, they have a kid. And, and then Jacob has 12, but then they're going to starve to death. But then they get rescued by Joseph. And Joseph rescues them to go to Egypt 400 years. I don't know how much of that they are. When the pharaohs change, they're oppressed and they're in slavery. And they have no way out. And then the screws get tightened and the pharaoh gets worried and fearful and he starts throwing their babies in the river, killing the male children. Moses is rescued. I want you to notice there's 80 years before something happens. You ever wonder what God's doing for 400 years and then for 80 years? But God's timing is not our timing. So, but here they are, they're enslaved. And so, what happens? Moses is rescued. Moses becomes a prince of Egypt. You all saw, how many of you have seen Prince of Egypt, huh? Okay. How many of you have seen Ten Commandments? Uh-huh, different generation. Yep. Um, there's different versions of this. Those are two of the more popular ones. Um, but, this is about the Exodus story. And, uh, and they yeah, got it mostly right, sort of, in those. Um, but Moses chooses to not be important. He decides for justice. He decides to take things into his own hands, and he, he kills this Egyptian. He tries to make things right, and then it all goes wrong, right? And he has to flee to the wilderness for 40 years. And here's the thing. <laughs> we all want this to work out where, oh, you know, there's, there's injustice here. We've got to do something about that. Let's have a sit-in, a protest. Let's um, kill somebody. That's the typical way to deal with it. Kill somebody. And Usually what happens when you kill somebody is they kill somebody. And then you kill somebody back, and it, more people get killed. And the injustice doesn't really get better. Anyways, Moses tries to handle this, to fix this, and he can't. And here's what I want you to get. We're slaves. We can't make it better. We're enslaved to the powers. And we don't even realize it. But we're enslaved to our need to be important. We're enslaved to the powers of the economy and the government and the culture 
and the world system and Satan and our own selfishness and the situations that we're in. We're so enslaved, we don't even know it. And even if you're on the top of the system, you're enslaved to getting there and staying on top of the system. To Even if you've got money to buy something, you're enslaved to the system that says you have to spend all your time shopping and maintaining and sorting all the stuff you bought. Right? We're enslaved to the system. And our little American traditional religion or African traditional religion is not going to get us out. Can you imagine the slaves in Egypt working sun up to sundown and then coming home and reading My Best Life Now? Or the uh, 10 Ways to Be Successful and Happy? Or all the other American traditional religion books? How to gain friends and influence people? How to make your boss like you? How to... It doesn't work. Trying to figure out the latest video game, the latest thing that's happening. They're enslaved. And figuring out how to get the gods of Egypt to give them a little bit and let them have kids and let them survive another day is not the point. Because they're enslaved. And they're dying. And as much as we might feel on top or on the bottom, we're enslaved, folks. And we're dying. And that's just the beginning. (laughs) The bad news is a lot worse. So they can't do anything. And I want want you to see that so often we want to find some way we can do something. We we like the David and Goliath story. Because that makes you feel like, you know, you could throw that slingshot and you could be somebody. You could be important. We forget that it was totally a miracle. You swing that thing around, and the guy's way over there, and it hits him right between the eyes. It's like, not because David was such a good shot. Okay, he was a good shot, but he said it was about Yahweh. Not about him. And so we want to find a way where we can be important, and we can rescue ourselves, and we can do the right things, and we can read our Bibles and pray and go to church, and somehow we can do something. But folks, we're enslaved. We're dying. So God has to come along and say, I remembered my promises. I remembered my people. It's not like he forgot. When we remember, when we remember at the table, it's not about forgetting that Jesus died. It's about presence. It's about being there. It's about showing up. And he, he sends Moses to give a message and say, it's, it's about to be, de- there's deliverance coming. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says what? Yahweh says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I know of a lot of gods, but I don't know Yahweh. Yahweh is nobody. I take care of all the gods. I'm the son of Ra, and Yahweh is nobody. And so there is this conflict between the system that has got him bound. And the people of Israel are bound in this system. And he says, I don't know who Yahweh is. And I don't care, and I'm not going to let him go, because I am in charge here. And I've got the gods backing me up. I've got the military. I've got the economics. I've got the system backing me up. What are you going to do about that, Moses? 
So Moses brings out his secret weapon. I got a stick. Pharaoh goes, whew, impressive. A stick. And then he drops it on the ground, becomes a snake, and Pharaoh says, you guys do that. And they, they drop theirs on the ground, become snakes. Nope. The, the stick of Moses from Yahweh eats up the other ones that should have been enough for Pharaoh to get the clue, but it wasn't. Right? But I want you to get the point that when we go up against the powers, we go in weakness. We don't come with uh, the tanks behind us. We say, Yahweh said, let my people go. And he told me to use my stick. And they're not going to be impressed. They're not supposed to be impressed with us. They're not supposed to see how important we are. I want you to get it that it's not about us doing anything. We got a stick. And we got a great God who shows that Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh? He says, well, Yahweh is the one who is actually in charge of the Nile, not those other gods that you think are in charge of the Nile. Yahweh is the one who's actually in charge of the crops and the locusts. Yahweh is, you know that, that bull god that you worship? Yeah, Yahweh actually gave the bulls, and they're going to die. And Yahweh is in charge of the rain. And, and Amun-Re is in charge of the sun. He's the sun god. And yeah, he, uh, you know, he, gets, he goes across the sky and then he gets eaten by the sky god and then he's reborn in the morning and all that good stuff. No. That's just something God made. And Yahweh is in charge of light and darkness. And Yahweh is in charge of death. And you think with your military power, your, your economic power, your gods, you can kill people. But Yahweh actually gives life. And he takes life away. So, um, we get to the chapter 11. Pharaoh says, get out of my sight and don't ever come back here again. And Moses says, okay, I'm leaving. But just one thing God wanted me to tell you, Yahweh said before you, I leave, every firstborn in Egypt is going to die just so you know. And Pharaoh, if he'd been smart after all this, should have said, wait, don't leave just yet. <laughs> could I, could we do something about that? But no, Pharaoh is upset that his authority is being challenged, that he's not important enough, that his gods aren't good enough, and so he lets that go. So now we have this Passover that is set up. The Passover meal is set up, and the Israelites are told how they are going to have the death angel pass over their houses, right? So they're going to have a meal. They're going to slaughter a lamb or a goat, and that the blood of that lamb or goat is going to be put on the door posts, and over the door, and the death angel is going to see that and say, there, I'm not going to pass there. I'm going to pass over there. Now, this seems like a crazy thing, doesn't it? 
what is putting blood on there? And, and then they're going to have a meal. And they're going to eat the lamb. And they're going to uh, eat the rest of this meal, and they're going to eat it with unleavened bread. We have some unleavened bread here. Why was it unleavened bread? Because they were in a hurry. It was time to leave. They didn't have time for the bread to raise. Now you think about that. Okay, so we've been here 400 years, and we don't have time for the bread to raise? 400 years and tomorrow? Really? Because last time you said this, they just made it harder. They said, make bricks without straw, and they just clamped the screws down, and we, didn't, we thought we were going to get out of our suffering, and you made it worse. But no, unleavened bread. And those who trusted the word of God through Moses, they did all that. They made some unleavened bread quick. It, said, it says, eat it with your shoes on, your coat on, ready to go, with your bags packed, because there's going to be deliverance. This is what Jesus is trying to remind them of, of this thing that happened. And I want you to notice 12.12. That's what I was pointing out. 12.12 um, in the NIV says, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring justice. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Here is the backside of God's hand. The judgment on the oppressive gods. I am Yahweh. NLT says it this way, On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am Yahweh. Remember the question that was asked? Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh? And Yahweh keeps showing who he is. I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. Those are the gods. Gods. You call them gods. I am the creator. I am the life giver. I am Yahweh. And so he is um, reminding them of this. So they, they kill this, this animal. They put it on. And, and what? So and, and then even as they do it, he gives them instructions about how they're going to do it every year. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, 17. For it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. This festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. The bread you must... So it goes on and gives all the instructions for how they're going to remember every year how they became a people, how they were delivered, how the powers which were enslaving them were freed, how death passed over them. How they were freed from death. And then, so Pharaoh calls them in and, and he, he says, get out of here! Or as a, uh, my, my son likes to talk about it, there's a Nigerian video out there, he's, get out of here. Trying, trying to be a good American. But, uh, get out of here! Says Pharaoh. And so they leave. But then Pharaoh says, wait, 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 wait. I messed this up. He's got a stick. What am I thinking? I've got chariots. Let's go. So he chases them down and says, no, you're my slaves. It doesn't work this way. 
He chases them down, and what happens? They're on the verge of this Red Sea and the stick. Oh, yeah, remember the stick? He uh, holds it out, and he says, it's not the stick, folks. It's God. But just so that people knew it was God doing this, he did, he did this, okay? And God divides the sea. They go through it. He gets to the other side, and this secret weapon, which isn't it, it's God, right? He just says, okay, so God said this. And it closes in it, and it engulfs all of that army. All, so all, think about this, all of the religious power, all of the military power, all of the economic power, all of the prestige of Egypt is covered, destroyed by Yahweh. But what did the Israelites do? Well, next to nothing, right? Yahweh did everything. He's the one who brought the darkness and all the plagues and killed the firstborn and got them out of there and, and drowned them in the sea and opened the sea, right? What did they do? Well, they held out a stick. And they followed the instructions and they, they ate the Passover. And they killed a lamb. Now, already there had been uh, a foreshadowing of this when God said to Abram, take your son, your only son, my, your beloved son, and go and sacrifice him. Again, it wasn't a sin offering, but Isaac takes the, takes the wood and says, where's the lamb, Dad? How are we going to do this sacrifice without a lamb? And he says, oh, God will provide the lamb. Turns out he's about to kill Isaac, and God provides a substitute, a lamb, instead. And in this case, the lamb was killed in place of the firstborn. And then there's a whole instruction about how they're supposed to continue to sacrifice and redeem, buy back the firstborn. Now, we're going to get into the ransom and redeem idea later, but basically it's, you know, like in a hostage-taking situation where they've got people that they're going to kill, and then you say, they say, uh, well, either you come into the SWAT team, or they might say, well, give us some of your prisoners, we'll give you these hostages. It's redeeming and ransoming. And the lamb takes Isaac's place. The lamb takes the firstborn's place. And Jesus comes back to this idea that this is the time. Now is when it all makes sense. Now is when all that strange ritual sort of Passover stuff and the and killing lambs, and it's all going to make sense. Because Jesus is that Passover lamb. So let's turn to Matthew, where Jesus talks about this. Matthew 26. <clears throat> Jesus was finished saying all these things. He said to his disciples, as you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Let me, let me read it out of, out of Matthew so that you can, out of NIV so you can follow along. Um, and they make preparation for the Passover Matthew 26 verse 27 26 first of all there's a discussion about, about Judas and then he says 
While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. This bread. He gave thanks, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, crushed, broken, for you. Take and eat, because this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So, the Passover supper, Seder, had a lot of different elements, a lot of different symbolism, a lot of bitter herbs, and a lot of different things. But, um, and I, I remember when we, uh, when I was in Jerusalem in way back, 84, and uh, we celebrated a great Seder that, that reminded us of that. And, th and then I got on a bus with a bunch of Jews and went to Egypt. It was kind of backwards. And, um, and, I, and I ate matzah the whole time. No, actually, I ate all of their buns because it was Passover. And then when it was done, then they gave me all their matzah, and I got to, so I didn't have to buy lunch the whole time. Um, it was kind of, it's kind of weird. But anyway, it's still celebrated. Jews still celebrate, but they don't celebrate one piece of it. And we don't celebrate one piece of it, and that's the most important piece of it. So what we don't think about and what's missing is the lamb. What happened to the meat? Jesus wants us to be vegetarian? No, what, what happened to the meat? The meat was the critical part of this ceremony. Where's the meat? Where's the Passover lamb? We celebrate Passover, but we celebrate a meatless Passover. What, what happened to the meat? Anybody got an answer? What happened to the meat? Jesus was a sacrifice once for all. So there were lambs killed every Passover, in fact, every day in the other sacrifice. But this, this was a, a sacrifice. Jesus' body, his blood was given to save you from death. To save you from death so that you'll have a new body. Because this body was given. So we remember with this body, his body. And with this blood, his blood. But Jesus' blood has saved you from death. His death has saved you from slavery, from 
all that bound you. You couldn't do it. Right? Not only could you not atone for your sins, you also couldn't free yourself from the powers. Now, I want you to notice that when Moses comes to Pharaoh with a stick, Pharaoh's not impressed. And they have this confrontation about what's justice. Um, and Jesus comes before the chief priest, the high priest, the one who does the sacrifices, who enters into the Holy of Holies. And the greatest religion of ever, till that time, Judaism, the high priest says, are you the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Blessed One, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus says, in kind of an enigmatic way, he says, yes, but not how you're thinking. In fact, the way that the, the, the high priest says it, it's actually a statement. It's just the punctuation and the, and the context that makes you realize it's a question. But John has, Mark starts with, this is the story of the Messiah, bringing the, in about the kingdom of God. And then he gets to the middle of, of the book of Mark, and, he sa and, and Jesus says, who am I? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, yes, you're right. Peter says, you're the king of Israel. You're the one who's coming. You're the, you're the king of everything. He says, yes, that's right. And I'm going to be crucified. And, and then Peter goes, no, 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 no. But it goes right from Messiah to crucifixion. Then there's the transfiguration, my beloved son. And again, my beloved son, the son of God, the, the, means the Messiah, Psalm 2, the son of God. Means that when he talks about being the son of man, who's coming in the clouds as, as in Daniel. The son of God, the beloved son, the one who's going to be sacrificed like Isaac. And then it gets to the end, and the, and the high priest says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One. And then he puts a question mark. Jesus says, yes. Then it goes to Pilate. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus basically says, yes, but not how you're thinking. And there's this interesting trial scene. Trial scenes. Like Pharaoh and Moses. Who's on trial? Is Moses on trial? Or is Pharaoh on trial? Pharaoh's on trial, right? Because Yahweh is the just king of everything. And Pharaoh is judged. In this scene, it looks like Jesus is on trial. But Jesus doesn't even answer. Because he says, yes, and you're going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of his glory. Jesus is not really on trial. He's on trial, but actually the powers are on trial. Religion is on trial. The Rome was the best justice system there had ever been, and it was on trial. The temple was the center of economic, political, religious everything authority. It was the place where heaven touched earth and where Yahweh was supposed to come, but they were in charge of that. They were on trial. They were judged. And Jesus was blindfolded, beaten, mocked. Hey, king of the Jews, put a purple robe on him and a crown of thorns. And then he was enthroned. 
on a cross. Colossians 2.15 says, On the cross, he defeated the powers and principalities. So our, our battle is not really against people. I know last time we said we were angry about Democrats and Trump. That, that's not really our problem. It's really the powers that are behind the government, that are behind the economic system, that are behind the flesh that, that gets in your way, that's behind your husband when he gets that way. Now, we do have to deal with the realities because they're, they're tied together. Okay, Pharaoh was judged. But there were the gods behind him that were also judged. And this Passover is where it comes. And the creation is redone. Remember at the creation, God said it's finished. And then he rested. And here on the throne, on the cross, Jesus says it's finished. And then he rests on the seventh day. And then he's resurrected in power. And we see it's not that it's the, the it's not that the, the victory comes at the resurrection. The victory comes on the cross. The victory comes when this blood is poured down that wood. And the weakness of God and the foolishness of God becomes the power and the wisdom of God. As the blood pours down and the Passover lamb and the king is slaughtered to free us from death, from sin, from every power and principality, visible and invisible. We are freed, folks. That's the bad news. <laughs> is that we're dying and we're slaves. But I want you to know the good news is you have life. You're free because of this blood. You're free. You don't have to follow the powers anymore. You're free from sin that's made you do what it wants, from the powers of this world that make you do what you want. And, and when we enter into that, we're free. Now, you might recall a little song said something like, we're free, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. You remember a certain Martin Luther King who uh, told people, you're going to have to follow and take up your cross. You're going to have to suffer if you're going to get to the freedom. You're going to have to stand up against the powers and take what they give you if you're going to pass into freedom. So when we follow Jesus, it's not actually about me not having any more problems, getting what I want, having my rights. It's about being free from needing to have my rights, from needing to have my place in the Egyptian system. We are free. See, the... the <laughs> The bad news is really bad. And I've only started talking about it. We're enslaved in every level. We cannot free ourselves. But the good news is really good because Jesus 
died as the Passover lamb. Jesus rose to roll back the waters, to roll back the, the stone, to, roll, to free you from death. You're free, you're alive, and that's forever. Forever. Anybody happy about that? So if we know how bad the news is, we can know how good the news is. But we also have to know how powerless we are. Um, God didn't predetermine that I should be a Calvinist, but Calvinists are right about total depravity. We really can't free ourselves. But we can choose to enter in. Choose to put the blood on our lives. Choose to follow the crucified one. To take up our cross and follow him. Choose to give him control. Choose to stop submitting to the powers. Because, as Andrew mentioned, there's a new invasion or there's a new freedom that's coming. We, we eat it with our boots on. We eat it with our coats on because there's a new thing coming. So in the First Testament, they were freed from the powers. Their mediator had come and showed them a new way and, and, and that by a blood sacrifice, they were able to have God's presence with them. All of that stuff is true for us, except more so. Because we have Jesus. So, I'd like the worship team to come back up. So, Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is our deliverer. He's paid the ransom. He is our redeemer. And all of the powers <clears throat> that are bringing the injustice and the sin and the things that are going wrong, not only in your life, but also in the world, and the, the sin that you're participating in, God has got freedom from all that. Something is very wrong and unjust, and it must be made right. And God is angry enough about that, because he's just and loving, that he's going to act. Here's a, here's a hymn. Oop, let me go back to that one. At the Lamb's high feast we sing praise to our victorious King. Where the Paschal blood is poured, death's dark angel sheathes his sword. Israel's host triumphant go through the wave that drowns the foe. Um, I've been singing those for, for a month. I've been singing Waymaker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. God is making a way not just for you to get your stuff done. He's making a way that we can follow him. Do you get the difference between a earth-centered universe where all the stars go around you and us and a sun-centered, galaxy-centered universe, a God-centered universe that's we get to revolve around what he's doing? We get to march out behind the cloud God doesn't follow in behind us in our marching orders. We're free. That's good news, folks. So let's sing. Let's sing about it. And let me let me pray it as we
as we move there. Lord, we thank you that you are our Passover lamb, that you are our deliverer, that you are truly God. And as God, in your love, you came and you died for us. Not because we're so lovable or so good, but because we're so bad. And we couldn't free ourselves. We're bound. We're tied. We are dead. But you came and gave us life, freedom, joy, hope. pray that you'd help us to see how much you've done for us. There's so much that we can't we can't even begin to grasp it, but Lord, help us begin to grasp it. Thank you, Jesus, for your deliverance of us. This altar is going to be open if you want to come and pray. Maybe you've never really put that blood on your life. Maybe you've never really accepted that life to free you from death. God's being king of your life so that you can be free of being king and being oppressed. If that's the case, come on up and pray with some of us up here. But maybe you just want to come and celebrate your hope. Maybe you want to confess the places where you've been going after smaller things. Maybe you just want to rejoice in Jesus. Anyway, the altar is open for all of that. I'm going to give a benediction as well. So if those of you who need to go get your kids or something else, you can do that. Go in the name of the Father who loved you so much that he gave his only beloved Son. Go in the name of Jesus, your Passover lamb who was slain. Go in the name of the Spirit that empowers you as you go out in that life that leads you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, be free. Amen.